Hi there, it's Sonia Bestelich here, producer and host of the Chat About Children podcast. There has been a lot of focus and demand for support and resources to ready kids to start school, particularly in the recent 2020 global health circumstances. I have put together a brief rebroadcast series of five episodes for parents, carers who may have children starting school, and of course for those professionals who work with children in their preschooling years. I'm aware many of you already know my background, but for those new to the podcast, I am a mum of three school-aged children, a speech pathologist of 20 years, and founded the Sydney-based clinics Talking Head Speech Pathology over 14 years ago. I am an award-nominated children's author with both my children's books shortlisted in the Speech Pathology Australia Book of the Year Awards in 2019 and 2020. Now, these awards recognise and promote quality books that help children get the best, most literate start in life. Now, getting kids ready for formal schooling is a topic I continue to speak about extensively and have taught about extensively for almost two decades. Remember that formal education is only one aspect of the school that is life. So consider adopting the broad mindset of life skills. What are the skills that my child needs to function successfully in their daily life, in the community and in the greater world? And you will find a number of the episodes here on the Chat About Children podcast will help you answer that question and equip you with the tools and the support that you need. I'd also like to take this moment to reinforce the importance of interactive daily book sharing. Now, this is applicable to children from birth right through to the early years at school. It not only allows enormous benefits when it comes to language development and later learning of how to read, spell and write, it also allows a platform for important messages and teachings, as well as nurturing a positive experience of human connection with the child or children in your life. Now, my work as a speech pathologist and children's author really do heavily emphasize and utilize the power of story. So yes, I have delivered a lot of training to parents and professionals in how to interactively bookshare. I have created a free download for you on how to interactively bookshare. So it's a guide that you will find on the chataboutchildren.com website. To learn more about my children's books, Reese, Give Me Some Peace and Kisses in Your Heart, do check out my author site, soniabestelich.com. Here you can also download activity sheets, link to the books, as well as teacher notes that show how they align with the school curriculum and early years framework. Yes, the books are also available to those of you outside of Australia. You can check them out in Amazon and of course Book Depository, who also provide free worldwide delivery. And yes, they are also available in ebook format. Okay, let's get on with the school starters series. Here is number four of five. Enjoy. You're listening to episode 10 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to episode 10 of Chat About Children. Today we are discussing an interesting topic, one that I'm sure many of you are interested to know more about, and that is the topic of attention, learning and your child. Attention is an area that as parents and professionals, we talk about a lot and that's simply because attention is a basic fundamental, it's a vital foundation skill for being able to learn appropriately and it's also one of those vital life skills that we need to, to have in life to be able to do what we need to do effectively. Today I have joining me Jackie Peel. Now she's an occupational therapist and we're going to be covering 
aspects such as you know what attention is in the first place. And we also look at different subtypes of attention and why attention difficulties actually happen in the first place. Together with that, we also look at the different signs and symptoms of an attention difficulty. So it's going to help us to understand when we might actually decide that, yes, this is an issue and we do need to follow up. Or you know what, let's get some handy little tips from some of the strategies that Jackie and I talk about and implement those first and see how they go. So without further ado, let's get this chat started with Jackie Peel. So joining me today, we have Jackie Peel. Jackie is an occupational therapist who in 2010 started Early Links in the Sutherland Shire, Sydney, Australia. Jackie now leads a team of occupational therapists who support children, teens and young adults with practical strategies, which make daily life easier. Jackie is very passionate about education and her love of learning has helped create new approaches for treating anxiety and sensory processing difficulties. Jackie has also presented at national occupational therapy conferences and is a member of several organizations advocating for greater support and understanding for children who otherwise fall through the gaps. So excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us, Jackie. Pleasure. So today we're talking about attention, learning and your child. And I think for a lot of people, they're probably wondering what an occupational therapist is. So we're going to cover off on that as a start, but I'd love to know a little bit more about yourself and what led you to be interested in becoming an occupational therapist. Certainly. Well, Sonia, it's lovely to be on your podcast and kind of get a chance to share some of the information and things that I've learned over the last good 10 years of study and working. I think that question you asked about being an occupational therapist and what led me here is one that I love answering because I literally read the university admissions guidelines. I had no idea what the job was about, but I read the personality traits of an OT and went, oh, that sounds like me. And so it was someone who's a practical thinker, someone who loves to help others, and someone who doesn't mind you know, being hands-on with what we do. And I think that's a great definition of what occupational therapy is. It's everything we do in life, every activity that we take on board, every aspect of our life is an occupation. And it's my job to make each one of those parts of our day or, you know, people that I work with make their life just a little bit easier. So sometimes we work with children and that's, as we're talking about tonight, we're here with attention, concentration, learning skills. Other times it's for much younger children and we're looking at early stage development or for parents to manage their own stress and anxiety that comes with raising kids and the questions that they have as well. Yeah, absolutely. So there is quite a lot that is encompassed in your role as an occupational therapist. And I think, again, that's an area that we don't always understand all the aspects that come with being an occupational therapist. And one of them, which is a real fundamental that we're talking about today, is attention. And I would love for you to, to just kind of get the ball rolling and tell us a bit about what attention is anyway. Certainly. Look, attention is one of those topics that is as complicated as you want to make it or as simple as I can say, it's your ability to focus on what's important in the moment. And sometimes in that moment, it's lots of different things. And as we get older and more skilled managing our attention span, the things that we can manage to pay attention to or to focus on becomes more and more complicated and more and more things get added in there. But I think too that with attention, it's often 
one of the things that we get most referrals for. Mm. Kids sitting in class and they're daydreaming away and staring off at the walls or they can't focus long enough to actually do the problem solving in their math or create a story that starts and goes through to the finish. And I think that's what makes attention such an interesting topic to talk about because it is something that a lot of teachers and parents, they see it quite observable it's the child who's not able to focus in on what's important in that moment whether that be learning whether that be eating a meal at the dinner table or having a conversation with somebody I think there's a really good idea within just mainstream and conversations that people understand what attention is Mm. but when you look at it from my perspective as, as an occupational therapist there are many many reasons why attention and concentration are really challenging for some kids yes And I think the challenge as a parent is really just understanding not just what it is, but how do you actually know what is meant to develop when in terms of attention? Like what are we looking for? And does it become more of a problem once they do get to school and they need to have their attention kind of solid so they can learn appropriately? Like how do you know before then or is it more that you're going to work it out by the time they get to school? I think there are some key I don't want to say red flags because they're not big and scary. They're just little things that we can notice earlier on in a child's development. And I'll touch on those in a minute. But I think the point you raised around, like, is it better to address these before or after? Or do we normally see these kind of difficulties coming up more when kids get to school? And I think the answer is yes. Mm. Attention and concentration is something that whilst it is a very basic part of our development and it, it has multiple areas in the brain that require coordination, When kids get to school and suddenly they have this huge amount of intellectual knowledge that they need to remember and process and and engage with, that's where attention starts to really become a very, very noticeable skill where you start to see big differences in how kids are performing and engaging against their peers. And you also have a lot more of that peer-to-peer measuring or opportunities to look at the differences between your child and their peers it's certainly not too late to do therapy at that point and to have some of these practical strategies implemented when the kids get to school age, but it certainly is a little bit more draining on them because they've already got that load of having to remember things and to be engaging in that learning as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge learning curve. It's really steep, that difference between moving from home or preschool environment into the school environment. So it can be, I imagine, like just a little bit of a shock to the system, I guess, for some kids in terms of the demands that are placed. Is that pretty accurate? I think so. And I think it's not just before the academic and the intellectual learning that that children do, but it's the structure and routine change. It's the length of time and the frequency that they're required to engage that attentional system. It's the social complexities that kids suddenly get involved in when they get to that school age. And not only from a developmental point of view and their communication skills are more advanced, so their, their conversations are more complex, but even just the social dynamics and the level of play and almost the lack of toys that they have at school. Like if you think about the difference between a playground or a a play environment at a preschool or a daycare, there's things to climb on, there's things to play with, there's sand pits, there's toys, there's different tables and stations that kids can move through and suddenly they're in a playground that's massive, probably not allowed to climb on a lot of things. You might have your turn once a week on the big climbing structure and all of a sudden there's three or four times as many children on the same playground. And I think for children to be able to navigate that social environment does require a lot of attention. Mm. It requires them to not only have the social skills to engage, but they've got to be able to block out all the other groups and all the other things that they might be able to go and do and really use that imagination 
you know, to hold their attention with their peers. Yep. And that's a nice way to actually present that, Jackie, because it does really illustrate or give that picture of the real contrast that does lie between preschool kind of environment and then moving into the school environment, because it is quite different and the demands are quite different. So when we think about attention and how it typically develops in children, can you give us a little bit of insight there? Yeah, certainly. I mean, this is a topic all on its own, Sonia, just in terms of how development and attention develops, because if we take it right back to the very, very first stages of attention, it's that shared emotional engagement that mother and child have or that father and child have when they're born. It's, I'm going to stare lovingly into your eyes and you're going to stare back at me because I'm the most exciting thing in your world because you've never seen a human face before. And it does all these wacky things and it makes these crazy sounds and it has all this emotion and eyes that light up. And that is the basic piece of attention is can your child be curious about what that thing is in front of them? And a lot of the time, you know, there's multiple reasons why that's really difficult for some children to build that attentional skill with their family or their parents. But also too, sometimes it's hard for parents to notice those subtle cues that babies are giving off to say, I really want to keep looking at you for a minute. And we're all busy. Lots of things to distract us at the same time. And I think as attention starts to build from there, it's in that shared interest and the pointing and it really looks at shared interest, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, it really does start from birth Mm. and looking at shared attention and joint attention. And there's some of the things that even as speech pathologists, we look at as those early communication signs or foundation skills. So if you had to describe some of the subtypes of attention, Jackie, what would they be? I think you just mentioned a couple there in terms of shared attention and joint attention. Mm Mm-hmm. And then as we build up from there, so maybe just to explain that idea a little bit more that, so shared attention is where you and I, we can know that we're both looking at the same thing. And I can have, as the name says, a shared interest in what you're excited about or what you're looking at. Then as we get a little bit older, we've got this idea of sustained attention where when children are really interested in an activity, they can pay attention to that thing for a long, long time. So we're talking about the example being kids on Playstations or playing with Lego when they're just obsessed with Lego. You will see that those children can be motivated to stay engaged in that activity for a long, long period of time, whether there's someone yelling their name or they've missed lunchtime because they're so focused. And I think that's also something else that, that pops up in our referrals a lot is parents going, but the teacher says he's got poor attention But when he's at home and he's playing Lego, he can focus on that thing for an hour and a half, three hours if I let him, and that's no problems. Yeah. And I think that's where these different subtypes of attention become really important when we're looking at attention as a whole, because that sustained attention is a motivational system. And then if we look at the idea of selective attention, selective attention is not only that I can focus in on what I need to or what I'm motivated to, but I can also block out what is not supposed to be important. So I can decide to focus on my Lego despite the fact that my, you know, it's time to go to school and I have a routine that I'm supposed to follow. I'm going to choose what I focus in on. Yep. And then as we get a little bit more mature and we start to develop more of those thinking skills and that greater awareness of what I'm supposed to be doing and the rules and routines, we build up into this concept of alternating attention. And I think also too, when we're younger, that idea of joint attention 
does actually lend itself to this alternating. It's if I get distracted by something, I can come back to what I was focusing in on. Yes. Parents are good at that, I think. Mm. Oh, hugely. <laughs> hugely. They're really good at that skill when they become parents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So early on, that idea of like alternating attention is more of a, I got distracted and my parent or my care I need to bring me back to. And that's more of that like, joint attention. It's, oh, I got distracted. Oh, but wait, there was that emotional engagement with this other person. I want to be sharing that attention again. But when you get up to that alternating attention, it's I can choose to be doing this one thing. I can stop that. Remember that I'm doing this activity, whether it be Lego or something homework wise. And I can go and answer my question to mom or I can go and get something out of the fridge because I'm hungry. And I can come back to the same part in that activity without having forgot what I was doing or why I was doing it. Yes. But we're certainly doing one thing at a time, but we're not getting distracted. Yes. I think that's the difference alternating attention is not a distraction piece it's I'm choosing to press pause on my activity to go and do something else to then come back and how would you describe now I'm just going to go totally personal here Mm. with one of my children I might say go and put your uniform on so that will require walking down through the lounge room down the corridor to the bedroom to get the uniform and put it on however it seems that three or four things whether it is the bathroom door being open or something in the corridor, there seems to be all these distractions, if I can call them that, Mm -hmm. along the way. And so regular prompting is required to get to the end of the corridor, to the bedroom and put the uniform on. Is that typical? (laughs) Look, it is. It is. I mean, again, it comes back down to the motivation. You know, those things that are in between you telling to go and put on a uniform to get to school and actually getting to the bedroom. There's loads of things that are going to grab your child's attention between here and there. And it's about that motivational system being switched on and going, I have one focus and that is to go and put my uniform on. That's what I'm doing right now. And if that motivation and the reasoning as to why and the engagement as to, I really want to go put my uniform on because I'm going to get a high five at the end of it or because I really want to get to school or because mum's gone, actually, you know what? We're running late. Go now, like emotion behind this. (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep, yep. But if we're missing those kind of key pieces that really drive our motivational system and our attention system to switch on, those bright and shiny things between you and the bedroom door are going to be more exciting and they're going to grab that attention and they're going to have that sustained attention. Yep. Fantastic. That's a great way of putting it. And I think the motivational aspect is extremely key. Mm. And just thinking about various situations as parents do in the morning routine, etc. I find just even something like a countdown, how you got 10 seconds is enough of a motivation that gives a real finite boundary to getting that activity kind of attended to. So yeah, that's a great point about motivational kind of weight behind attention. Very, very, very relevant. So what are, are there any other subtypes of attention, Jackie? There's one more and it's divided attention. And I think this is where parents really excel because this is the multitasking. This is the one that says, I can be talking on the phone whilst making sure that my kids have got lunch for the next day. I can be feeding my children dinner while still trying to cook another meal for myself later on. Or, you know, I can be watching the TV while doing the laundry. You can be doing two things at once. Your attention is actually divided equally or proportionally towards those two activities and they both get done with the same level of of skill that's required. 
So is there an age that you've talked about parents being able to or be very good at divided attention? Is there an age or stage developmentally that kids become better at being able to divide their attention effectively? There is. There's never really a clear cut on this sort of developmental piece. But in primary school, like I would not be expecting divided attention from younger children. I mean, certainly alternating attention. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about a working memory component where kids can hold two pieces of information equally in their own you know, executive functioning and complete two activities at the same time. So it is actually quite a difficult skill. Mm. And I think when you look at teenagers and that type of thing, they get very good at divided attention. Yep. And I think when you hear about selective hearing, a lot of that is also divided attention. Is I'm listening to you, mum and dad. I'm just choosing not to actively engage with you. And I can probably repeat the story that you just told me, but right now I'm doing something different. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Cool. So that covers off on all the different subtypes of attention quite nicely. Mm. So I am looking at all those various attention subtypes and just as a whole, what are kind of those key signs that someone, a professional or a parent is going to know that there is actually a difficulty happening? Is it parents just waiting for the teacher to say something? because we've kind of talked about attention being more noted once they get to school. So is it kind of out of parents' hands and more in the teacher's hands to identify issues? Like how do you kind of rate that? I always say to parents when they come to me saying, look, the teachers said I needed to see an OT. My first question to that parent is, well, what do you see? You know, what Mm. does your gut tell you? I think teachers are brilliant at identifying kids in comparison to their peers They've got that skill set, they've learned that, but they also have the opportunity to do it. But parents know, I think, I don't know how to explain it otherwise than just saying parents have like a sixth sense or a gut instinct on their kids. And because attention and concentration are, they're mixed in with a lot of other other skill sets. So whether there's a sensory processing difficulty, whether there is a language comprehension difficulty you know there's lots of other things that contribute that can look like inattention in the classroom yeah but I think with anything with occupational therapy you know my kind of not certainly line in the sand but when I say to parents look it is time to come in and have an assessment or get started on on just some practical strategies that are more specific to your child is when parents or teachers have tried to support and engage to the best of their ability and you're still seeing the child having difficulties in those day-to-day activities. Yeah, yep, yep. They don't have to be exactly with their peers, but if a parent and a teacher are noticing, or one or the other, is noticing that their child is noticeably frustrated, noticeably just not improving, even though parents and teachers are giving that child the strategies that they know how to provide, that to me is an indicator to come in. Just have a chat. Yeah. Most OTs are happy to just have a chat and sort of say, yes, I think it's worth coming in and give you more of that specific feedback. So when you do ask parents that question, like, what do you see? What are some common things that parents do see? What are they reporting that they see a lot of the time in the home setting? I think it it comes down to a lot of the time it's the morning routine. I have done everything I can to motivate my child to be on task. Most parents have tried the visual schedules or the ticker boxes or the external reward of if you can get ready for school every day this week, there'll be a reward on Friday afternoon. Parents have tried stepping their child through, look, I give him one very specific instruction and then he comes back to me. I give him the next instruction and he comes back. And usually when parents have gone through those four steps, 
you know, the motivation, the step-by-step help, you know, those sort of suggestions and they're still having difficulties and they're still not getting out the door on time or there's big arguments around parents actually engaging it and trying to help, that's really when it, I sort of say to parents, yep, that's the point where you need that extra support to either figure out whether it is attentional or whether there is something else like a sensory processing difficulty, more of like a developmental reason why that attention and concentration presents itself as an issue. Yeah. And I guess you've started to touch on, you know, why do these difficulties even occur in the first Mm. place? You have mentioned sensory processing difficulties a couple of times. Can you just explain what that is? Certainly. It's more common than I think a lot of people acknowledge. The last lot of research that I was reading said about 20% of children in our New South Wales schools have some form of sensory processing difficulty. And sorry, not New South Wales, it was across Australia. With that, sensory processing difficulties come in a lot of different ranges and it's a grading. Some kids get extremely overwhelmed by even the smallest amount of information. So if you're sitting in a busy classroom, you know, with lots of noise and lots of colour and lots of movement, for some kids that's really overstimulating and their brain just goes, you know what, I need a quiet space that's kind of dark, that doesn't move a lot for my brain to work optimally. A lot of kids in that situation can manage the day. Like you're not having big meltdowns. They're not having tantrums, but they'll come home from school really tired and Mm. trying to get their attention or concentration to do homework in the afternoon after school is near on impossible, Yeah, right? Because all day long, they've been trying to filter out all that extra information that bombards their system, the movement in the playground, the climbing and the physical activity. Yeah, and those kids typically come home and they're a little bit more grouchy, grumpy, fiery in the afternoon and very much avoidant of any more concentration. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll get sleep, you know, difficulties with sleep in that respect, again, that sort of presentation. But then you've got the other end of the spectrum where, or the other end of sort of the grading with sensory processing difficulties, where kids will be completely understimulated by their environment. You know, the filter in the brain is so strong Nothing really gets through. The teacher up the front talking is kind of like, oh, that's nice. The teacher's up there. Oh, but then there's something else over here that I want to look at. Yeah. And then, oh, was did the teacher say something to me just then? I kind of heard a murmur, but I wasn't really like that sound didn't quite register in my brain yet. And what we talk about is, an, is the threshold of sensation and the intensity of our sensation and from the environment that we need for our brains to wake up and go, oh, that's what's happening in the world around me. Yes, that's fascinating. That honestly is really fascinating. So sensory processing difficulties can be, I guess, one of the reasons why attention issues are occurring in the first place. You mentioned language difficulties or language comprehension difficulties. Absolutely. And then you mentioned other developmental issues. Was that right? Mm, That's right. Yeah. Anything else that can contribute to why those attention difficulties are occurring in the first place? Yeah, look, I think we, we spoke about it before and it was that motivational system. Yeah, of And I course. think that ties in a lot with the communication is if your child doesn't understand what the instructions are, if they don't understand what the purpose of what they're doing is, then they're not going to be motivated or engaged to follow through on that. And also too on that developmental piece, if we go back to that discussion we were having around how does attention begin in the first place and it's all that emotional engagement piece, if your child had pain from reflux or wasn't sleeping well they had some vision issues their hearing wasn't great they had ear infections all of those medical things that happen 
early stages in life can all affect our developmental process because the brain and the body are trying to do healing for starters. So they're not putting as much, they can't put as much energy into growth and development. But also too, if kids are missing those subtle facial expressions and they're missing those opportunities to really engage in play and yeah, to play with their parents or the kids around them, they're not putting down the building blocks for later attention. Yeah, makes sense. And as we've said a few times, attention is one of those basic, fundamental, absolute building blocks that we need to be able to learn effectively. Are there any simple kind of strategies that we can talk about that can assist with attention difficulties or is that just too broad a thing to talk about? It is very a broad topic, but I think there's a couple of key things that I find myself suggesting to parents straight away most of the time off, the, off our initial appointments or even on those first phone calls so that parents have something to go away and try mm. before they come in and say, this is what's happening. You know, So we have a bit of an idea about it, whether it is attention-based or whether it is like purely attentional or whether it's got this background of, of other things going on too. I think if part of it is going back through that grading of attention and if you're expecting your child to be able to alternate their attention between the homework that they're doing and something else taking it back down to more of a sustained attention you know can your child be engaged and focus on something that's really motivating and really important to them can they hold that that information can they hold that attention and whether that is on an activity that they're really loving or whether that's you know, emotional storytelling with a parent where you've got that personable engagement, I'd be looking at, if we go back to that basic short periods of attention, can your child achieve that? Yep. And then stepping it up to, you know, if we need to try and teach children selective attention, my favorite one is the purple placemat. Mm -hmm. Tell me. Yeah, I will. (laughs) So, Pick any colour that your child loves. But again, it's creating the space that switches on in the brain and says, this is my focus zone. This is where I need my eyes and my ears and my brain to be working. So we typically get just two A4 pieces of paper, laminate them as an A3 or you know, sticky tape them together with some laminate or some contact. And as simple as it sounds, putting that behind a workbook that the child's working on, if they've had a chance to pick the colour, be part of making their their focus zone or call it whatever kind of fits with your child's passion or their motivation, but just simply having a colour or a, a border for the child to go, this is where my attention needs to be. It really does help them to block out all the other information. It gets it really clear in their brain that right now, my eyes are here, my brain is here and everything else that's going on, if there's a timer or something like that that you can use, again, just to give them that definition of time and space. Mm-hmm. As simple as it sounds, I've seen it work way too many times not to kind of share that one. Fantastic. So it gives them an association basically. That's mm. kind of a tool to say, okay, here's your cue. The cue is we've got this purple mat or whatever colour it is and this is what it means. It means I need to focus, et cetera, and use my eyes and all the rest of it. And that's all been explained in the making of that yep. purple mat or whatever colour mat it is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Does it wear off after a while? If there's more going on, then yes, it probably will wear off. But if it's more a case of I didn't quite learn or how to refine my attention, then I've seen it work 
long enough that the child starts to then build that skill themselves. Fantastic. You know, and maybe bring that back out. So is the idea that you then wean them off the purple mat? Yep. And most of the time they self-wean. Like it'll be a case of you'll start to notice those skills getting more and more strong and they won't go and find the purple mat to come in and do their homework in the afternoon. It'll just start to happen. And that's where just little practical strategies are working. But if the motivation and the skill set around attention doesn't improve enough before that, the novelty of the purple mat wears off, then it's one of those key indicators to say, might want to talk to an OT or somebody else in health around attention and, and concentration. Yeah, absolutely. There's some really, really valuable strategies. So I know, Jackie, there's a lot to talk about with attention and we are actually going to continue our conversation about attention and learning and children. I know one of the things that I would like to ask you about is a bit about ADD and ADHD and understanding how that looks different to just attention difficulties. And we're out of time today, but I'd love to discuss that in our part two of attention and learning. What else can you tell us we're going to be chatting about in part two, Jackie? I think we mentioned it earlier on a little bit too, is that general development of attention and concentration. And rather than looking at it from the point of view of when things get tricky at that preschool, school age, where we start to notice the differences, how do we start from the very beginning for the parents of young kids and how do we remap or not even remap, but how do we actually grow some of those attention skills? And I think that'll still be really valid for some of the parents with children who are presenting with some difficulties at the moment, because you'll start to pick up on where the gaps might be for your child. And then you can start to put some of the strategies in place, even though they're designed for much younger children to still help bridge that gap at the moment for your child who's a little bit older. So we'll sink our teeth into some real practical strategies, basically. Definitely. Yep. So to finish up, Jackie, what would you kind of give as a take-home message for parents and professionals out there who might have children with suspected attention difficulties or working with children that, you know, they're wondering whether a child has attention difficulties? What's your take-home message for us? My take-home message is that if you can make the environment and the activity really simple and something that's motivationally there for your child and they still have issues or or difficulties with attention, that's the time to speak to somebody about it. But look, attention is one of those skills that develops throughout our entire life. And if you notice some difficulties or some challenges, you know, try out some of the strategies that we've talked about today. But again, making the environment as simple as possible and the task as motivational as possible and start to build those attention skills like you would with any other skill. You start simple and you build up to being more complex. Yeah, fantastic. Wise words. Thank you so much, Jackie, for joining us in part one of Attention Learning. I look forward to chatting more in part two. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I certainly look forward to that discussion too. (laughs) Thanks, Jackie. Pleasure. And that completes part one of Attention, Learning and Your Child. A really interesting chat with Jackie there. And as we mentioned, there is a lot to talk about within this topic. So we are going to extend our chat in part two, and we're going to look at how attention develops in those early years, how we can grow attention skills. So we're really going to get into some very practical strategies there. And as I mentioned earlier, also touching on ADD and ADHD because it is a much talked about area and I think it's important that we do touch on the subject a little further in part two. 
Thank you so much for your attention today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please support us by subscribing to the podcast. Also remember to check out our show notes at www.chataboutchildren.com. And please do share this episode with anyone that you think will benefit from the information. I celebrate you and I look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com. 